All right. Well, um, today we're continuing with our promises series, and uh, we've looked at promises that we find in the Bible, promises from God Himself uh, to us. And as we noted in the very first week of the series, a promise is an assurance given. It's an assurance given. And so what we've been considering over these last several weeks and in the next few weeks are assurances that God has given us in His Word, the Bible. And to date, we've considered five promises in the Bible. We started out by considering the promise of salvation, which is available to every single person uh, by simply turning to Christ in faith. And then we considered four promises that are all conditioned on belonging to Jesus, on, on being His, on having turned to Him in faith. We considered the promise of a helper uh, or the promise of the Holy Spirit. We considered the promise of abundant life, the promise of peace, and then last week we considered the promise of rest. And by the way, I want to thank Andrew Lang for doing a great job last week uh, with the promise of rest. All of these have been very positive messages. They have, they have told us about things that we, that we like and that we want and that we desire. You know, salvation, help, abundant life. Today we come to a promise that is a little bit different. One that at first glance does not seem very positive at all. Today's promise from God to us does not show up on very many refrigerator magnets. It just doesn't. There aren't a lot of Facebook posts with cute pictures attached with this promise. It doesn't show up on Christian bumper stickers. But today's promise is just as certain as any of the other promises that we have covered or will cover. It is a promise in the Bible, it is from God, it is to us, and it's the promise of suffering. Suffering. Shua, our administrative assistant, saw the sermon outline this week, and she said, you will not be very popular this week. <laughs> Just as certainly as God promises salvation to all who have faith in Christ, and just as certainly as he promises to those who belong to him that they will have a helper, that they'll have abundant life, that they'll have peace and rest, just as certainly as all those things, God promises us that we will experience suffering. And today we're going to look at three things about suffering. We're going to look first at the promises in the Bible that tell us about suffering. And along with that, we're going to consider the reality of suffering. And then we're going to consider what we might call the purpose of suffering or what suffering accomplishes in our lives. And then finally, we'll consider how we can endure suffering well. So let's first look at the promise and the reality of suffering. You know, you don't have to read very far in your Bible. You don't have to read very deep into the story of mankind before you come to the promise of suffering. And what we find, first of all, about suffering is that it is promised as a consequence of sin. It's a consequence of sin. Now, we shouldn't really think of suffering so much as a punishment for sin. It's 
It's simply the consequence of sin. You know, you sin, this is just what happens as a result. You suffer. And so we'll read a few of the scriptures on your outline today. I think, I guess I just mentioned this, but I'm only going to read the ones in section two. But in Genesis 3, 16 through 19, we find this truth that suffering is a consequence of sin. What had happened is that God had warned Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, telling them that in the day that they would eat of that tree, they would surely die. And you know the story. They disregarded God's warning. Uh, Eve ate first, then Adam ate. And, uh, and so Genesis three sixteen through 19 outlines the consequence of their sin. And it really could be summarized under this word, suffering. Eve is promised that the consequence of her sin will be, quote, with pain you will give birth to children. Ladies, how many of you can affirm that uh, this uh, actually came about? (laughs) Yes. May not, well, I was going to try to be funny. (laughs) I'm not. I'm going to keep words inside today. Adam is told that because of his disobedience, quote, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. And of course, we've noted in recent weeks that that work predates the fall, but there is something that is harder about it. There is something that is more frustrating about it. And, and God goes on and tells Adam that the ground's going to produce thorns and thistles for him, that he'll eat food by the sweat of his brow until the day that he returns to the ground, until the day that he dies. So suffering is a promise. It is a promise from God to mankind. It is a promise that is a consequence of sin. It's also the reality of life in a fallen world. It is absolutely true that when Jesus Christ came, he brought with him the kingdom of God. And the future rule and reign of God broke into this present evil age. But you know that God's reclamation project for this fallen universe has not yet reached completion. You've observed this. You've seen this. The world remains in its fallen condition awaiting the second coming of Christ and the renewal of all things. And so until that time, we continue to live with the consequence of sin. We continue to live with the reality of life in a fallen world. And here is how Job, an expert on the subject of suffering, summarizes reality in a, the, the reality of living in a fallen world. He says, man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. That's a creative way of saying trouble is a certainty in this world. It's in Job 5, 7 that he said that. And then here's perhaps Job's most famous words. Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Job 14.1. The reality of life in a fallen world. And I would imagine that your experience has confirmed what my experience has confirmed. That those words Job spoke, those are some pretty true words. Have, have, you, have you experienced that? 
full of trouble. And we need to realize that Job's life demonstrates that suffering isn't just a reality for a select group of people. It's not just a reality for the unrighteous. This isn't just the reality for those who throw off God's rule, who give no consideration to God. Suffering touches everybody who is born on this earth, the unrighteous and the righteous. You see, God said of Job that there was no one on earth like him, that he was blameless and upright. God said this about Job, that he was a man who feared God and shunned evil, and yet he suffered greatly. He's famous for suffering, even though God himself said he is blameless. And that same point is emphasized in the parable of the wise and foolish builders in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. In the parable, Jesus says that the wise person built his house on rock, which is Christ and his teachings. And when the storms came, the house stood. Then he says the foolish person built their house on the sand. This is the person who hears the words of Christ, but then does not put them into practice. And this person, when the rains came down, when the streams rose and the winds blew, the house fell with a great crash. One of the main points of this parable, I think, is often overlooked, which is that whether the person is wise or foolish, whether they are building on Christ or not building on Christ, the storm comes just the same. The wise and foolish get the storm. Those built on Christ, those not built on Christ, the storm is coming to both. Belonging to Jesus does not make us immune from the storms of life, the suffering of life. Christ follower or Christ rejecter, the storms are coming. It is just the reality of life in this fallen world. No one is exempt. No one. Job wasn't exempt. The apostle Paul was not exempt. You're not exempt. I'm not exempt. Billy Graham's not exempt. Rick Warren's not exempt. No one is exempt. A good friend of mine who I had a surprise visit from this week, Steve Wilcox, one of our founding elders here at the church who uh, sadly and unwisely moved away to Michigan, He uh, he is fond of saying this, No one gets to heaven without a fight. And it is absolutely true. Christian, you are not exempt from the reality of life in a fallen world. And you will do yourself a tremendous service if you will let go of the false idea that belonging to Jesus means he suffered so you don't have to. It's a false idea. In fact, Jesus taught the exact opposite. Luke 21, Jesus said to those who would follow him that they would be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. And he said that some of them would even be put to death. And he said in verse 17, all men will hate you because of me. Jesus 
promises suffering as a result of being identified with him, as a result of simply belonging to him. He never says you're exempt because he suffered for you. You don't have to pay the penalty for your sins, but there's suffering that comes. And it's not just some isolated, obscure promise of Jesus that we can just like brush under the rug because we don't know what to do with it. Because he says it over and over and over again in the New Testament. He repeatedly said things like this. In John 15, he again taught that the world would hate his followers for no other reason than that they belonged to him. He said if the world persecuted him, so it would persecute his followers. And we could just go over and over and over the times when he he talks about the difficulty and the suffering that would come our way. I mean, he says, before you even follow me, consider the cost because what it's going to mean is you have to take up your cross if you're going to follow me. So suffering is a consequence of sin. It's the reality of life in a fallen world. No one is exempt And it is also the result of identifying with Jesus. These are promises given, assurances given by God to us. I just gave you a great start to your refrigerator magnet business. (laughs) You can go before the sharks on Shark Tank with this idea. The promise of suffering put on refrigerator magnets... See how they like it. Kevin O'Leary will say, I refuse to let you go forward with this idea. Not many Shark Tank fans in here, I don't think. (laughs) All of us here today have experienced suffering as a result of living in a fallen world. Every loved one you have lost... The pain that you have felt as a result of that, suffering as a result of living in a fallen world. Chronic pain. I know a number of you here today are in chronic pain. Result of life in a fallen world. Being sinned against by someone who should have loved you. The result of life. In a fallen world. And every one of us, if Christ does not return in the next few decades or so, next several decades for some of us, will experience physical death. The reality of life in a fallen world. And many of you have experienced suffering of some kind as a result of being identified with Jesus. Someone dislikes you. Someone has spoken evil against you. Someone has mistreated you. Someone might actually hate you as a result of your faith in Christ. Some of you have experienced family members who have cut you off because you belong to Jesus. No other reason than that you belong to Jesus. Promised Suffering. The problem with suffering is one of the greatest objections that people have to Christianity. And I know that many Christians are a bit unsympathetic to people who 
push back against the suffering that they see in the world, but I'm not one of them. I push back against the suffering that I see. I don't like it. I ask God, why, God? Why? You're all powerful. Stop it. Put an end to it. Why? I think it's okay for people to wrestle with the why questions. There is a feeling within people that it shouldn't be this way. And here's why that feeling is in people. Because it shouldn't be this way. It really shouldn't. This isn't the way it was intended. I can't answer all the why questions. I mean, the Bible does make it clear on some level uh, in answering the the why suffering question that it's mankind's rebellion, that it's our sin, that, that it is the consequence of sin as we've talked about here today. But that still leaves us with questions that we probably won't be able to fully understand until that day that we no longer see through a glass darkly. But here's what I do know. And I know it because the Bible tells me so. Even in suffering, God is working for our good. And suffering, Scripture says quite clearly, accomplishes some really good things in our lives. So let's consider some of the things that suffering accomplishes. You can look at 2 Corinthians 4.17. I think it will be shown on the screen behind me. Here's what it says. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The Apostle Paul wrote this. And in the last few weeks, we read through all of the things that the Apostle Paul suffered. I'm not going to read that today. It was, a, it was a gigantic list of things that Paul suffered, but I'll mention a few of them. Shipwrecks, hungry and naked. He said, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger from the Gentiles, danger from his countrymen, danger from false brothers, imprisonment. And the list went on and on and on. If you want to have a suffering contest, the Apostle Paul will finish at the top. And he says suffering. Now keep in mind what he experienced. He calls it light and momentary troubles are achieving something for followers of Christ They are achieving an eternal glory that far outweighs the suffering. Weigh all of the suffering that you've experienced in this fallen world. And then weigh, if you could, if you could fathom it, the eternal glory that awaits you. And Paul says the glory far outweighs all of the suffering. And he says, I think this is so interesting, the suffering is actually in some way achieving the eternal glory for those who belong to Christ. So what does suffering accomplish in the the life of someone who belongs to Jesus? Eternal glory that outweighs it. Consider Matthew 5, 11 
and, and 12. In fairness to the Scripture folks, I forgot to tell them 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven from the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. According to Jesus, and there's no more reliable source than Jesus, suffering leads to a great reward in heaven. It may be difficult here now. It might be really hard for you, but there is coming a day when all of the pain and all of the suffering results in a really good payoff, an eternal great reward. Paul, in another part of Scripture, describes the future glory as, quote, the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And he said that he strained toward what was ahead, that he pressed on toward the goal to win that prize. No one gets to heaven without a fight. But that fight leads, that fight ends with a really great Reward. What does suffering accomplish? Consider 2 Timothy 2.12. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Suffering is preparation for reigning with Christ. The, the path that Christ walked to achieve victory over sin, death, and the grave was the path of suffering. He went through suffering to get to reigning. And when we suffer, it is preparation for reigning with Christ forever. Paul affirmed the same thing in Romans eight seventeen when he said, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You want to reign with Christ? Enduring suffering is the training ground for reigning with Christ. And then in maybe my favorite of all of these, 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. I, I love that line. This isn't strange. This is normal. You should have expected this. Nothing strange is happening here. This is the way life in a fallen world is. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Do you understand what that is saying? Suffering, specifically in this context, the sufferings of Christ, mistreatment, ostracism, hatred that you experience because of belonging to Jesus, that is setting you up to be overjoyed when Christ returns and his glory is revealed. You say, Brian, I don't think I've ever been mistreated for belonging to Christ. And I would say to you, just wait. Just wait. It's coming. It's coming. If you're going to be faithful to him in the current and what I believe is worsening climate in the United States of America, or if you will move away from lukewarm faith and start living like God really wants you to live, then you can have no fear that before Christ returns, you'll experience the sufferings of Christ. 
And what they will be doing for you is positioning you for the experience of being overjoyed when Christ returns. And while the specific context here is suffering for Christ, I think this truth applies to all suffering. What does suffering accomplish for us? It sets us up to be overjoyed when Christ returns. And and I have this picture that kind of plays out in my mind. Don't hold me theologically accountable for the picture. It's, It's just a picture, okay? But I imagine Christ kind of witnessing our suffering, sustaining us, strengthening us through our suffering. And as he sees what's going on with us, he starts to kind of get excited. And he gets so excited that he he calls the angel Gabriel over and he says, Oh, Gabriel, look at what Kevin's going through. Look, Look at the trouble that Kevin is having. He's been in this really hard trial for a long time, Gabriel. But you know what? I just can't wait until he learns how much joy this has secured for him. He is going to be so overjoyed when I return. I imagine him saying, Gabriel, Adele has another hard trial coming her way. The next one's going to be a really big test. But I cannot wait until that day when she learns how much joy that trial will have secured for her. It's just going to ramp up her experience of joy when I return. What's the purpose of your suffering What you're suffering accomplishing for you, your sufferings are setting you up for the experience of joy to be overjoyed when Christ returns and his glory is revealed. Eternal glory that far outweighs all sufferings. A great reward in heaven. Reigning with Christ. Being overjoyed These are all things that suffering accomplishes for us. And there's one more that I should have put on your outline and didn't, but here it is. Suffering is meant to create in us a longing for heaven. Suffering is meant to create in us a longing for heaven. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul wrote to people who were tempted to grieve as if they didn't have any hope. And he reminded them of Christ's promise to return and Christ's promise that his people would be with him forever. And he told them that they should encourage one another. In some translations of the Bible say comfort one another with this truth that Christ would return. All of the sufferings of this present evil age are meant to create in us a longing for heaven, a longing for that day when we will be united with Christ cause us to look forward with great anticipation to the day that Jesus returns. Friends, I'm no fan of suffering. I have huge questions about suffering. But the witness of Scripture is that suffering, which is promised to us by God, accomplishes some really significant things in our lives. And I can tell you, as someone who for most of his life had the view that I want to go to heaven, but not today. I've now lived enough of life that if I get to pick, Jesus can come back today. 
meant to create a longing for heaven, a longing for home, a longing for Jesus. So since suffering is our promised reality, we need to know how to endure it well. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly, but I want to share six things that I think will help us endure well. The first one for a Christian is so obvious that I almost feel like I probably shouldn't say it. You know, it's going to be like, really, Brian, you have to say that? Um, But here's the thing. Just because it's obvious doesn't mean we actually do it. So here it is. If you want to endure well, build your life on Christ. Build your life on Christ. In the parable of the wise and foolish builders, storm came to both. The storms came to both, but it was the wise builder, the one who built on Christ and his teachings that stood strong in spite of the storm. And you say, okay, Brian, I've got it built on Christ. I've heard this a thousand times. Now you can move along to some point that I have not heard a thousand times, to which I say to you, not so fast, just because you have heard it a thousand times does not mean you are doing it. Are you doing it? Are you building your life on Christ? You're here today, and that's, that's a good thing, and that's a good start, but you can come here every Sunday and not really be building your life on Christ. Are you building your life on Christ? Or are you like the foolish builder? You keep coming and hearing the words of Jesus. You keep hearing that you should build your life on Jesus, but you never actually put into practice what you hear. Hearing about building your life on Jesus is not building your life on Jesus. Knowing you should build your life on Jesus is not building your life on Jesus. You've got to actually do what you hear, do what you know, if you want to endure well. And many of us know that that's right. We know we need to do this, but we are building on all kinds of other things instead. We're building our lives on the hope of financial security, and independence. We're building our lives on the hope that the next rung on the achievement ladder will satisfy that empty place in our hearts and that that'll set us up for security. Listen, friends, there are storms in life that are so powerful that they can destroy every form of security that you think you have set up for yourself. There are storms that are strong enough to destroy your financial security, no matter how financially secure you seem to be right now. There are storms that can overcome your healthy eating habits and your exercise and destroy your physical security. And there are storms that are strong enough that they can rip apart the relationships that you now find security in. The only security available to you in this life that the storms of life are powerless to destroy is the security that you find in Jesus Christ. You want security against the storms. You want to endure trouble and suffering well. You've got to build your life on Jesus, not just know that you need to. And if you're going to endure well, you've also got to begin to see what is unseen. 
2 Corinthians 4.17 that I already read, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And then verse 18 says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. If you want to endure well, you've got to become a person who can lift your eyes up off of your present circumstances, up off of your present reality, and see with your spiritual eyes the glorious future that awaits you. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. You've got to get that in your mind. And there is a glorious morning that is coming for all of us who belong to Jesus. It's going to dawn when Christ returns. Look up from your trouble and look forward to your future. And then coming right alongside that one is this one. You've got to learn to, dis, uh, to consider your suffering in the light of eternity. Consider your suffering in the light of eternity. Romans 8.18, Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Again, remember Paul and all that he experienced. He says it's not worth comparing. When you line up all your sufferings, you line up the future glory, the present sufferings aren't even worth talking about. And 2 Corinthians 4.18 explains one of the reasons why they aren't worth talking about. It is what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. The suffering that we endure in this fallen world only lasts a short time. It's not forever. It's not permanent. It is only temporary. The glory, the joy, the peace, the blessings of God's coming kingdom Those are ours forever. Those are ours eternally. I know your body hurts, but it won't always hurt. For eternity, a long time, your body will function as it was intended to from the beginning. Free from sin, and decay, and death. Sure, you're going to have 10, 20, 30 years here with some pain if if God doesn't heal you, and He he may heal you. But if He doesn't heal you, you've, you've got a few years that you're going to experience some pain, but you're going to have eternity with no pain. I know the loss of your loved one hurts. I understand. There must be something about Entering into middle age, which I just sadly think I have at this point, um, that just makes you like kind of a weepy, sentimental, sad person. (laughs) Because uh, I have noticed in myself lately a greater appreciation for the loss of loved ones that in many cases have been dead for like a long time. Michelle's uh, dad died 15 years ago, which is just hard to believe. Uh, My paternal grandfather died 10 years ago. 
My maternal grandparents have been gone 24 and 25 years. I visited their grave sites more in the last three years than I did in the previous 22. It's interesting. I go and I stand at these gravesides and I remember these people. I remember the things they said, the things they did. And my memories faded some, so I work hard to try to imagine them. I mean, I found myself doing things I would have never dreamed I was doing, like trying to imagine the lines in their faces. The way they would sit in their chairs. The loss of loved ones is one of the huge sufferings of life in this present world. But that pain is only temporary. Those tears will not last forever. There is coming a day when God is going to wipe every tear from your eye, including every tear that's a result of someone you love and have lost. There is no loss on earth that will dampen for you the joy of heaven. And if your loved one belonged to Christ, there is a great reunion that is coming for you. The pain of being rejected by someone because of your faith in Christ, it stings right now, but it won't be that way forever. All the troubles of the present are only temporary. The glory that awaits is eternal. Fourth, remind yourself frequently that there is a reward that awaits you. The persecution, the insults, the suffering that you've endured or will yet endure for Christ. It's all going to result in a great reward. So see every test, every trial, every trouble as simply a part of the course that you have to run to attain the reward that will be yours when you complete the race. So live for your reward, lock in, focus in on the reward that waits you. And see every trouble, every difficulty as simply setting you up for the day when you're going to be overjoyed. Every difficulty in this life is just going to make it that much sweeter, that much more joyful when Christ returns, when our faith becomes sight, and we apprehend that which we've been living for our entire lives. Your sufferings are contributing to your future experience of being overjoyed. Do you remember how you felt when you accomplished something great and you were really overjoyed by it? I mean, just think of those moments. You, you know those moments when you're just like thrilled. You know, maybe it was something, a promotion at work, a, a raise that just thrilled you. Maybe it was buying your first house that just just thrilled you. Maybe for you guys, it was, you know, when you, for the first time in your life, got up the nerve to ask the, the girl in the class that you were so enamored with to go out, and, and as opposed to the 15 other times, this girl actually said yes, and you were just overjoyed. Or, or ladies, you know, the guy that you wanted to ask you out finally did, and, and you were overjoyed. Well, it's going to be like that feeling, only more forever. If you're a Buckeye football fan, you remember that 
You remember that feeling when C. Grant blitzed on the final play of the 2002 National Championship game and Miami's Ken Dorsey heaved this desperation pass that Matt Wilhelm batted to the ground and, and OSU was national champions for the first time since 1968. If your house was like mine, it erupted in unrestrained joy. How many of your houses were like mine? Yes. It's going to be like that feeling, only infinitely more and forever, and your sufferings achieved that for you. And if you cannot relate to that illustration because you're not a Buckeye fan, well, that's what you get for not being a Buckeye fan. (laughs) But you will still be overjoyed someday, even though you're not a Buckeye fan. We can summarize all these things that will help us endure well this way, I think. Commit to living your life for the age to come. Learn that this life isn't just for this life. This life is preparation for eternal life. So if you want to endure well, live in light of eternity. Live for the life to come. Don't live for this present evil age, but live for the coming age when Christ will wipe every tear from our eyes, he'll make all things right, and forever we will live with him and live as he intended us from the beginning. Jesus absolutely promises you suffering, but he absolutely promises you that your suffering is achieving eternal glory and eternal joy. Why don't you stand?